Our Old Testament lesson is from Jeremiah, chapter 26, verses 1 through 16. It should be found on page 1219 in your pew Bibles. And um, just a heads up, if you have if you've already turned there and you see the, uh, the subject heading, if you're in the NIV, for this particular passage, it says, Jeremiah threatened with death. Um, and that's kind of where we're headed today. <laughs> You're going to see that a few times with a few different people. And, uh, yeah, kind of get underneath that in a bit. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for all that you have made and for what you have given to us. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. And God, we pray that you would help us to hear it today, to really hear it, that you would open our ears, that you would give us minds to understand, and that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive it, to receive your word into our lives, that we would be um, continually changed in the people that you created us to be, uh, that you would break, um, break down our idols, God, that uh, you would break down our resistance to hearing and really hearing your word for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 26, verses 1 through 16. Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and each will turn from their evil ways. Then I will relent and not inflict on them the disaster I was planning because of the evil they have done. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I have set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have sent to you again and again, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and this city a curse among all the nations of the earth. The priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, You must die. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate and deserted? And all the people crowded around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard about these things, they went up from the royal palace to the house of the Lord and took their places at the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then the priests and the prophets said to the the officials and all the people, This man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against this city. You have heard it with your own ears. Then Jeremiah said to all the officials and all the people, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the things you have heard. Now reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent and not bring the disaster he has pronounced against you. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. Be assured, however, that if you put me to death, you will bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and those who live in it. For in truth, the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man should not be sentenced to death. He has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. 
turning then to John chapter 8. This is our part of our reading for today in the Read Scripture plan. John 8, 31 through 47. It should be found on page 1663 in your pew Bibles. have something similar as what we just read with Jeremiah. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, You are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are um, picking up in the story that we have been um, going through recently in the book of Acts. And we have been looking at uh, a situation with Paul. And I want to back up and give you a little bit of context before we get into the passage today so you'll understand what is going on with Paul and where he is now um, in the story. So here, here's how it goes. Paul, who is known as Saul in the um, Jerusalem area around the Hebrews, uh, was Jewish through and through. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, uh, as the way he describes it in the book of Philippians, uh, he says that he was, um, he was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, the people of Judah, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And uh, that he was a Pharisee and that he was actually out persecuting the church. And so he's going throughout Jerusalem trying to find Christians who are following Jesus because he thinks that is what's taking people away from God. And so he thinks they need to be stopped. They need to be killed. Because of this, he's sent from there to Damascus to find more Christians to be stopped and maybe killed. 
And on the way there, <laughs> a funny thing happens on the way to Damascus. And he meets Jesus. He meets the risen Jesus. And suddenly, everything changes for him because exactly the opposite of what he thought was the case turns out to be the case. And so his whole life turns around. He continues to go to Damascus, but now not to find Christians to kill them, but to spread the good news of Jesus to those who are there, to tell people about Jesus, to help them follow him as well. And then he goes on from there, from place to place to place, back to Jerusalem, to Antioch, and he's gone all around through uh, Philippi, through Ephesus. We've seen these places as he's gone around. Now he's on his way back to Jerusalem, or he's been on his way back. That's what we've been looking at. He's on his way back to Jerusalem to get there and to, um, to bring gifts back to the church in Jerusalem from the surrounding uh, areas and their churches there. And so we've been looking at him on his way back. Last week we saw he actually made it to Jerusalem. He gets there and there are some issues, and that is Paul has a reputation. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, as he goes out, people start calling him Paul because that was the Greek form of his name. So now as he uh, comes back, Paul has his reputation. And he has his reputation as someone who is kind of anti-Jewish. And so they know this when he comes in. And so everybody says, look, we know you're not anti-Jewish. <laughs> but you kind of have that reputation around here. Even though what Paul is doing is exactly consistent with what the church in Jerusalem is doing. If you read back in Acts chapter 15, they had a, a group of Christians come together in Jerusalem and say, what do we do with these people who are Gentiles, people who are not Jewish? How do we, how do we reach out to them and help them to come to faith in Jesus? Do they have to become Jewish first? And the answer they had was, no, they don't. They don't have to do that. And so they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow all the law of the Old Testament. That was for a particular time, and there plenty of that was fulfilled in Jesus. And so here's what they need to do. And so it goes through that in uh, Acts 15. Paul is consistent with that. He's doing the same thing everybody else is doing, but he's the one who has the reputation because he's the one who's been out there uh, spreading this message to non-Jewish people and telling them they don't have to become Jewish. And that, that really bothers some people. So anyway, last week what we looked at is he arrives in Jerusalem. They say, you've got this reputation, so here's what we want you to do. We want you to participate we want you to participate in following some of these Old Testament laws that I, we, we know you're not under that anymore. We, we know we're not. But we want you to participate in that so that the Jewish people here won't be offended by what you're doing. He says, great. That sounds like a good plan. And so he's going to pay for these people's purification rights. They're going to have taken a vow. It all goes back to the book of Numbers. And he's going to do this. As we said, you know, this was his way of trying to meet people where they were to become all things to all people that he might win some for Jesus. And so here he is going out of his way, doing what he doesn't have to do, but doing it for other people out of love for them uh, that they might come to know Jesus too. That's where we were. That's where we pick up the story today. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we'll talk about how this has to do with us. So the seven days of the uh, purification process— are about over. So here we go in verse 27, and we'll see if his strategy of uh, not causing offense worked. It doesn't. 
says, When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and, and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by, by the soldiers. And the crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him! So things aren't looking good. Paul has gone out of his way to make sure that he is um, not going to be accused of what they're accusing him of. And yet it doesn't seem to have done any good. So let's go back through. <clears throat> oh, there it is. And talk about this. Um, move it here. Talk about this story and what's going on. Paul has been participating in these uh, in this purification process. They don't even wait for it to be over. And then now they've got this accusation and they're out to get him. What was the accusation? What were they accusing him of? They weren't accusing him of all the things that uh, he was doing, you know, on his missionary journeys specifically. They bring that up. I don't know if you caught that. That was, uh, they start shouting, he's, he, this is a man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. Is Paul teaching everyone everywhere against the Jewish people? No. Is he teaching everyone against their law? No. Is he teaching everyone against the place, the temple? No. He's not teaching against any of those things, but he is pointing to how Jesus is what all of those things were pointing to. And so he has been going around telling everybody that Jesus is what all of that has been pointing to. Follow Jesus. <laughs> but for people who don't want to follow Jesus and want to hold on to those things, it sounds like he is on the wrong side. So he has this reputation. But that's not what they get him for. That's just you know, part of how they stir everybody up. What is it they're trying to get him for? What is the charge? Bringing a Greek into the temple. Yes. Someone who is not Jewish bringing them into the temple. Did he do it? No. And what was the problem of bringing a Gentile into the temple? It was, uh, there were actually, there was a Gentile court where you could bring a Gentile only so far. But beyond that, they couldn't go any farther in. Like there was a limit. There was actually a wall that they had built, and there was a sign there that said basically uh, any Gentile who goes past this wall is responsible for their own death. This was a capital offense. If you were to cross, in, you know, cross that barrier as a Gentile, 
you could be killed. You probably would be. And even the Romans who were overseeing this whole thing said, yeah, that you guys can do that. You can kill a Gentile that goes past that point. You've posted it clearly. That works. But I want you to notice, is, is Paul a Gentile? He's not. He's Jewish through and through. And he goes into the temple. That's fine. If Trophimus had gone in, he should be the one who's killed. But they don't care about him. They want Paul. And so uh, with no evidence at all, here's, I'm just going to kind of give a, my own take on how this sort of thing happens. And that is, they've seen Paul in the temple, and now there's some people, you know, they see Paul out walking around with Trophimus, and say, hey, isn't that Paul? Yeah, that's Paul. Why? Well, he's hanging out with that Greek, right? Yeah. Wasn't he in the temple earlier? Yes, what are you saying? (laughs) Well, I mean, you don't think he would have taken Trophimus into the temple, do you? (laughs) I don't know. I've heard some things about Paul. I bet that's exactly the kind of thing he would do. You think? Yeah. I mean, that that really seems to fit with exactly what I think about Paul. I think he did take Trophimus into the temple. And then it starts to grow. And you get some other people around and saying, what are you guys talking about? About Paul taking Trophimus in a temple? Oh, he did not. Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing you know, they're calling everybody together. We, this is not okay. You can't take a Greek in a temple. Let's get him. And so they start spreading the word. And this is where we have, uh, they stir, stir up the whole crowd, and they see him in the shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere uh, against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. So this is how the situation has gone. And now we have a whole crowd that is joining in because they're not looking for the evidence. The case is closed, right? The assumption has already been made, and so now it's just a matter of bringing the judgment, bringing the sentence. And so uh, they kind of skip the whole trial phase and just go straight to sentencing. (laughs) And well... What you get is death, and that is what he's going to get. And so they immediately start uh, drag him out. They're going to beat him to death right then and there. But there are uh, there's a Roman official who's actually in charge of keeping the peace in the city. Now, the, the Romans who are in charge of keeping the peace in the city are not going to be all too pleased with a bunch of people beating someone to death in front of the temple. That, that just doesn't look good. And so you see this, you know, Roman official kind of get on his uh, ancient walkie-talkie, I guess. He's like, hey, guys. <laughs> uh, I think we got a possible Isaiah 59 going on here. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to need some backup at the temple. That's what it is. If you, by the way, if you look up Isaiah 59, <laughs> that's a real reference. <laughs> the Roman probably wouldn't have known that, but <laughs> Isaiah 59 um, surely the lo- arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch 
the eggs of spider of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and one, when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. It continues. But that's the situation. That's the situation. Paul actually knows this is the situation. He wrote the book of Romans while he was on his way back to Jerusalem this, on this particular occasion. And in the book of Romans, chapter 3, he quotes that passage from Isaiah. It says there's uh, altogether... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul knows this is the situation, that this is the way of the world is the way of all the world. And yet he walks into Jerusalem, and this is what he finds for himself. The picking up the story, the, uh, the soldiers come to find out what the situation is, and of course, as soon as they get there, all the people who are <laughs> beating Paul suddenly kind of back off. They're like, oh, hey, <laughs> what are you soldiers doing here? And they say, well, what's going on? And they immediately just start in but there's so much shouting that no one can hear. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. There's a strange phenomenon. You would think that by getting louder, it makes it easier to be heard, right? And the quieter you are, the harder it is to hear. And that is true sometimes, except when it relates to listening. And I found that if you get really quiet, especially if you're working with children and you're, everybody's kind of going crazy, and you get really quiet, and you're talking to them quietly, what are they going to do? You're going to lean in, and, okay, what are you saying? I want to hear this. But if you start getting loud and being like, hey, 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 listen to me, the louder you get, the more they're like, ah, (laughs) turning away, covering the ears, not listening. And so it's a little counterintuitive. But anyway, that's what's going on here in this situation again is we have the crowd shouting at the soldier, and so it says he can't get at the truth. Because of their shouting, he can't get the truth. And so he finally, like, all right, we're out of here. Let's get this guy, take him, Paul, and they go inside. And all the way there, the crowd still won't let up. And they are shouting, interestingly, the same thing the crowds in Jerusalem shouted about Jesus. Away with him. Away with this man. Get rid of him. And that's where we stop for this week. Now, next week we will get to hear how Paul defends himself and whether or not that helps. Here's a spoiler. It doesn't. (laughs) But it's not really a spoiler because you already see that their minds are already made up. And so this is another one of those situations, you know, (laughs) my mind is made up, don't confuse me with the facts, right? 
That's what's going on. They've already decided what the case is, what the verdict is, before even having a trial. So what's the point of the trial? This is the case uh, of Paul. Now, I, I wish there were something going on in our national politics right now that we could relate this to. be helpful in understanding what's going on. Yeah, so there's a situation right now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, <laughs> that the whole Supreme Court nominee and uh, the hearings there. Um, if you've been paying attention at all, I'm sure you have already decided, this is a he said, she said, somebody's telling the truth, somebody's lying, and I'm sure you have already decided who's telling the truth and who's lying. And you have done so impartially, impartially and unbiased. You have formed your own conclusion after listening to all the evidence and after listening to both sides fairly, and then you've come to your conclusion. And I applaud you for that. However, I'm also going to go out on a limb and guess that if you told me which one of the two you believe is telling the truth, I am fairly confident I could tell you who you voted for for president in 2016. Isn't that interesting that we would think that we are all being fair and listening openly and at the same time we decided this case before this case ever came up? And that makes sense that we could decide this case before it ever came up. What doesn't make sense is that we could do that and still believe that we are being open and honest. But this passage is not about national politics. (laughs) This passage is about I mean, it it encompasses that. It's a part of that. But it's about what's on our bulletin cover. It's about our daily lives. The bulletin cover shows a boat that is being overtaken by giant waves. The water that's actually there to support the boat is doing the opposite right here and is trying to take it out. All of you know what it feels like to be the boat. (laughs) To be like Paul in a situation where everybody seems to be out to get you, and it doesn't matter what you did, and it doesn't matter how you defend yourself, because nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Their minds have already been made up, and their feet are swift to shed blood. We're past the listening point. It's just time to get them. You know what that's like. Their minds have been poisoned against you, and there's nothing you can say or do to change it. And if you don't know what that feels like, you will. If you're ever bold enough to take a stand for anything, you will. You know what this feels like. But we also know what it's like to be part of the wave, to just join in with the condemnation of somebody else just because that's what everybody else is doing. And we've learned the system of this world that you are either the boat or you're the wave. And if you don't want to be the boat, you better join the wave. We've learned that system. We've learned it very well. But we just read about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who was the boat. (laughs) Read about Jesus, who was the boat. Reading about Paul, who was the boat. (laughs) And I read in Isaiah, as he explains, that this is the situation that we're in. In one way or another, we're all in the same 
And what Jesus did when he entered into the system is he didn't join the wave. He voluntarily took the role of the boat and let the wave take him under in order to calm the storm, to make a different system. And so uh, what we have with Jesus is someone who says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And so when you are in the position of maybe getting to join a wave and joining the attack and the condemnation of somebody else, just put yourself in their boat. <laughs> Walk a mile in their shoes. Put yourself in their boat. You know what that feels like. If you know what that's like to be in that position, then ask yourself, if you are the one in that position, how would you want the water around you to behave? And then do that for them. That is a very different system. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. When he says, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is what we don't see happening. Not for Jeremiah, not for Jesus, not for Paul, not for us. But it is a different way than the way of the world. And we see these kind of situations nationally and personally all the time. This is what we live in. When Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 3, what he was writing about is he's kind of gone through and pointed out how those Gentiles are sinners. And he goes, you're right, they are. And then he says, and us Jewish people are sinners. And he goes, oh, wait, now you're getting a little too close to home. And then what he's saying in chapter 3 is, because we're all in the same boat, we're all guilty of the same things. And that is the bad news. But he tells everybody that so they can hear the good news that Jesus came to do something different. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to share one final quote with you, which I should have memorized by now because I keep using it. I love it. Um, this is a quote from Tim Mackey, who does the, one of the Bible Project guys. This is the videos we watch on Wednesday night. And it says, uh, in a sermon he's preaching, he said, if you reject Jesus, if you reject Jesus, you accept what comes naturally. And what comes naturally leads to the grave. If you reject Jesus, you accept what comes naturally. And what comes naturally leads to the grave. Now, the flip side of that is if you accept Jesus, that means you reject what comes naturally. And accepting Jesus leads to life. May we be those who this week are more awakened to how we have participated in, um, in being the wave, in being the mob, and seeking the condemnation of others. And that we would now choose a different way.
Reject what comes naturally. Accept Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.